the social justice classroom inside Hugh Boyd Secondary, this is Voices. A youth-created podcast driven by a steadfast commitment to improving the world around us. Hi, my name is Lita. And my name is Mia. And you are listening to Voices Podcast. Today, we are excited to be interviewing Tiana Sharifi, the founder and CEO of Sexual Exploitation Education, an organization that provides consulting and education to thousands of students and service providers across North America. We are excited to be talking about her today about the topic of human trafficking, the warning signs of grooming and exploitation and much more. To begin with, could you tell us a little bit of what inspired you to start this organization? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, So I've actually been working in the field of anti-sexual exploitation and anti-human trafficking for pretty much a decade now. Um, And really the bulk of my work has been in prevention. So for me, I used to work uh, providing presentations and education to students across BC on this issue. And the opportunity came for me to really incorporate everything that I learned and all my expertise into creating programs that really address the gaps in services and the gaps in education that I felt were there. Um, And so behold, C was created, sexual exploitation education. And, you know, what we try and do is make educational programs that are accessible to the public and focus more on the root causes that would lead to any form of exploitation. Mm -hmm. Um, We actually, me and Mia, we saw your... uh like you came to the school I think yeah and I thought it was really good because we don't really talk about like you know that sort of stuff especially online with like grooming and you know sugar daddies it was like not like a taboo topic to like talk about so it like being brought to light is really like important especially for like uh high school students yeah. Yeah, that's really great to hear that you enjoy the presentation. You I remember you all were an amazing group and just super interactive with the games and activities that we did. So, that was mm-hmm. really great. Thanks. Um could you briefly define the issue of sex trafficking or human trafficking and tell us some of the common misconceptions surrounding the issue? Definitely. So, by definition in the criminal law of Canada, human trafficking is either the recruitment, transportation, or exercising control, direction, or influence over the movements of a person in order to exploit them. And so that sounds like a mouthful. Um, Essentially, what's really important here is defining exploitation because human trafficking involves exploitation. Exploitation means taking advantage of another person. And so human trafficking is essentially a a form of modern day slavery uh, that involves taking advantage of another person for your own benefit, whether it is for sexual services, like we think sex trafficking, for labor, such as labor trafficking, or even for organ removal um, and organ trafficking. So those are the three forms of human trafficking. With sex trafficking, I think a misconception is that the majority of human trafficking happens uh, with regards to labor, that it happens internationally, that our victims are mostly international, and that it involves physical force. And so those three are actually stereotypes uh, that do happen, but not as commonly. So in Canada, the most common form of human trafficking is 
sex trafficking, otherwise known as sexual exploitation. And majority of victims are actually Canadians. So we have over 90% of victims are Canadians and over 90% of traffickers are Canadians when we talk about Canada. So it's very local. And most of the time it actually doesn't involve any physical force because we're talking about somebody influencing the behaviors of somebody else. And there's a lot of coercion involved. So um, people being manipulated and coerced into exploitation, into sexual exploitation. Mm, Okay. Thank you for that. Would you be able to share a story from your own professional experience that stuck out to you and, and why it's more important for youth to know? Yeah, I think there there are two instances here. One is more general. So just in the work that I do, something that was so surprising to me and really led me to be passionate about this field and this work is that when I was presenting in schools in every type of community you can think of all across BC, every community, there were teens and children who were getting sexually exploited or who, who were being groomed into human trafficking. And it was just a very... Um, almost rude awakening that there are these stories happening in every community with kids that you wouldn't think, you know, that don't fit a particular stereotype. And these were stories that were not going disclosed in the news or media or anything that people were talking about in our province or even, you know, much in our country. And so that was one thing that really stuck with me. And then connected to that was a personal experience that my family had, um, you know, with them thinking that this doesn't happen as often as it does. One day, a few years ago, they actually had a knock on the door of their business uh, in Vancouver on and around Oak Street. Um, And so they opened the door to find that there was a young teenager who was crying and she had her suitcase with her and asked to come inside. And so they let her come into their business for a shelter. Um, And she was actually on the phone with her mother and she was crying to her mother, talking to her mom about how she just broke up with her boyfriend and he was being abusive and he has this dog that he bought her and, and he's keeping it and she's trying to come back home, but he has her passport. And so all this conversation led to my family, especially my sister, realizing that this was a teen that was a Canadian teen who was being human trafficked. And she was actually trafficked at 13 from a middle-class family um, in Ontario and actually brought to Vancouver. Um, And at 16 at this point is when she was connected with my family. And so the really important lesson here was for them recognizing that it actually does happen. Um, She was being trafficked right around the corner pretty much from my family business. And in addition to that, knowing that she herself did not identify as a human traffic victim and they would not have identified her as a human traffic victim had they not known about the issue and the warning signs and the idea that most of this is coercion. So um, I think that's a really good story for for people to know, you know, that again, it, it does happen and it happens differently than you think. A lot of it involves somebody coercing and building a relationship and then later finding a way to take advantage of that person. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and third one. Oh, can you define for our listeners the concept of sextortion and share some examples of it, including those that people aren't likely familiar with? Definitely. Yeah. So sextortion is, I mean, it's a new buzzword almost because it's become its own epidemic. Sextortion is a form of sexual exploitation 
it's essentially digital blackmail. So we're talking about somebody online gets a hold of your, um, you know, inappropriate images or videos, and then uses that as bait to get either more content from you or to get money. Um, so kind of think about the Amanda Todd case that that just went through the courts. So yeah. You know, Amanda Todd, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with, was sextorted by somebody internationally, actually, who found a way to blackmail her with a screenshot he took of her without her knowledge. Um, and so what we're seeing right now is that it, it's become its own epidemic. And really, it's actually happening mostly to the boys. And I think this is something that really does surprise communities because we don't typically think about boys being victims of sexual exploitation. And so what we're seeing is that, in fact, about nine out of 10 cases of sextortion that are happening in Canada are males. And the reason for that really is because we don't socialize males necessarily to identify as being potential victims of sexual predation their guards are down when they're online. They don't think that they could be a target. So they feel much more insulated and safe and secure online. And the other piece is because we don't normalize it, there's a lot of shame associated. So if it does happen to them, they're actually less likely to go forward and report. But what's really great is that we're seeing this starting to become more normalized and um, and boys recognizing that, you know, there's nothing to feel ashamed about because, it's that other person's fault, right? The burden is on them for taking advantage. But I would definitely say that sextortion is a, a major form of sexual exploitation that is currently happening and affecting every community out there. Yeah, and I feel like there might be sort of like victim blaming with sextortion because it's like um, people saying, oh, just don't do that online basically. But, you know, it's not that simple. Yeah, I think that's a really, really, really great point. And I think that also comes down to when you say the victim blaming, I think that's really what does create so much shame coming forward. Um, you know, like with Amanda Todd's case, for example, she was bullied so much by her peers for and, and humiliated for something that wasn't even her fault instead of the onus being put on the predator, right? That yeah. um, that exploited her. And I think yeah, it's a really good point. Just recognizing even in our language, right? It's not about you should have known better. Um, it's about this person was very calculated and it's not your fault and there's help. Um, it actually, interestingly enough, this happened to uh, a, a colleague of mine, her friend got sextorted and she's in university doing her master's degree. So you know, it, it's really not the fault of that person. It's not that you weren't wise or you weren't, you were careless. It was just more not knowing the signs. Yeah. Thank you. Um, what are the warning signs of grooming online? Yeah. So I think we first have to define grooming. So grooming is actually the term for a crime that happens before sexual exploitation takes place. So grooming is the process of building a relationship or trust with somebody in order to sexually exploit them. And so the warning signs that I, I actually like to share this acronym that we come up that we came up with this year, and the acronym is SUS, which suits the theme. Um, in other words, suspicious. So we educated on the acronym SUS with regards to grooming. So the first S uh, stands for stuff. So if you're speaking with somebody online and they're offering you anything, whether it's TikTok rewards, gaming tokens, 
Amazon wishlist items, money for a photo or to be a sugar daddy or any kind of modeling gigs, for example, any kind of stuff is a red flag. Then the U stands for unusual age. So if you're under the age of 18, we define unusual age as being a five-year age difference or more. The second, sorry, the third S, um, or this, no, the second S, the third letter, uh, stands for sexual conversation. So if you're speaking with somebody and within a 48-hour period, they start to ask you about your relationship history or how far you've gone or any kind of sexual romantic conversation, that is also a red flag. And then the last piece that happens, the last S, is actually the number one sign of a predatory account. It's the number one tactic of these accounts. And that is switching platforms. So essentially, if you're speaking with somebody on Discord and they ask you to add them on WhatsApp, or you're speaking to someone on Instagram and they ask to add you on uh, Snapchat. So any kind of a switch of a platform is a red flag. So SUS is essentially the, the acronym and the warning signs of grooming online. Okay, thank you for sharing that. Can you explain how traffickers commonly identify their victims and what they often look for? That is such a good question. So with trafficking, specifically with sexual exploitation, we're looking at the exchange of a sexual act for something in return. So oftentimes for money, but other times for self-esteem or love or belonging. And so these traffickers, they actually form, most of the time, they form relationships with their victims. They pose as these boyfriends and friends. They form these relationships and they groom them. And so what they're really looking for is somebody who is lacking a particular type of need, whether it's a need for financial security, a need for um, love or self-esteem, and then finding a way to offer them that need. And so really they can look for anybody. It's just more so, are you demonstrating that you're lacking a particular need? And are you demonstrating that you're vulnerable to accepting getting that need met through an unhealthy alternative? So really it can look like anyone and especially online now, um, you know, traffickers, they're just looking like, do you want to be an influencer? Do you want to be, you know, uh, are you, do you look like you, you're looking for that particular lifestyle and you're wanting money? Are you, you know, open to the love bombing that they might do where they over compliment mm-hmm. you. Um, so that's kind of what we're seeing. And so that's where it, it becomes tricky because on our end as potential people that could be targeted, we have to almost know the definition of healthy boundaries and healthy relationships so that we can steer clear of people trying to take advantage of that. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. There's some of the prevention measures or steps of the criminal justice system that you can reduce incident of this crime to ensure survivors receive justice, especially for indigenous women and girls. Yeah, I think you mentioned a really great point there that unfortunately indigenous women and girls are very over overrepresented with this issue. And it is our responsibility as a society and as people and as citizens of, of the country and really the world to protect the most vulnerable and to protect our our children and youth. And so in terms of what the criminal justice system can do, um, and even the public is always ensuring that minors, that anybody under 18 is always at the forefront of our laws and the priority for legislation. So a lot of times we have these advocacy groups that 
um, are trying to protect other populations, but we always have to put the minors first. And so that's really how we can prevent it. So for example, there is a lot of trafficking and sexual exploitation and child pornography on porn sites. And so one way that we can protect that, and this is a bill that's being proposed right now, is for us to have legislation that puts the onus on the porn sites to make sure that any content uploaded is of somebody who is of age. Yeah. And so, you know, even if it inconveniences people in that industry, that slight inconvenience is so well worth it to keep our children and youth safe. Um, so I would definitely say that, yeah, keeping those legislations um, and, and, prior, and pri prioritizing our, our minors. Mm-hmm. And to add on, are there particular organizations that support trafficking survivors? And what do these um, services offer? There definitely are. Uh, so Salvation Army has a program called Deborah's Gate, and they are a safe house for human trafficked women. And sometimes they take youth as well. But an even greater resource is that a lot of nonprofits in pretty much every community, they have programs called Say Workers. And so that stands for Sexual Exploitation Youth Worker. And even in Richmond, actually, you have that. Um, so these organizations like Pacific Community Resources Society, for example, they offer these youth workers that are completely confidential. They won't report anything to any adults in that youth's life, but they're just there to build a relationship um, with that youth and be kind of like a healthy resource and source in their lives and provide them with any kind of help they need trying to exit out of exploitation. Mm, okay, thank, thank you. you. What do you think can be done to ensure survivors feel safe and are willing to open up and find help? Another very great question. <laughs> You're making me think here. I would say what would really help victims come forward is using accessible language. So what I mean by that is that most victims of human trafficking, specifically sexual exploitation, don't define themselves as human traffic victims. They don't even understand what, what that issue is um, and what it looks like, and even the public as well. So I think that we want to use accessible language where it's more so, do you have a boyfriend or a friend who has, you know, forced you in some way, even emotionally forced you in some way to make money off of sexual services? Um, you know, is there somebody that you have to report to in terms of how much money you make? So I think those those things, if we start to frame it as that, then it can be more accessible. I remember reading, I think it was actually in the Richmond News or the Vancouver Sun, there was uh, somebody who identified as a consensual sex worker talking about how she is worried with trafficking stings because that means that she's not making the money she has to for her, her boyfriend or for her manager. And so by definition, that is actually trafficking. She's a trafficked victim. Um, but of course, it's our language that kind of prevents us from understanding that coercion piece. So yeah, I would say it would be important for us to start normalizing the language around just exploitation in general. And, um, and if somebody has pressured someone in some shape or form to make money off of their body. Yeah, and finally, and perhaps most importantly, what are the actions we can take to help bring awareness to sexual exploitation and human trafficking in order to effecti effectively prevent it? Ah, so many things. <laughs> um, on one side, I would say that we have to stop politicizing it. I think that it becomes 
I think that there are certain groups that are trying to make anti-trafficking a political issue where if you stand with anti-trafficking, you're all of a sudden anti anything else. And so that of course is um, never effective and not healthy by any means. So I would say we stop politicizing it. It's a social issue about safety. And I just, even honestly, on a personal level, the best thing you can do is to de-glamorize the exploitation that is out there because there's so much in the media. There are so many platforms, even like OnlyFans, for example, that really start to normalize, um, normalize exploitation. Even this concept of, you know, a, a guy's right into manhood is going to a strip club, for example. So we've really normalized exploitation and, and objectifying people in our daily lives. And so I would say that we want to combat that normalization in our culture um, and really just on our personal level, making sure that our behaviors don't feed into the hypersexualization of teenagers or of women in general um, and being mindful of the actions that we take. Exactly. Especially with like the media as well. Cause that's, yeah. yeah. Anyway, anything else? <laughs> I think that's all. I think that's all our questions for today. Thank you for coming on here and um, taking your time out of your day for us yeah it was my pleasure and you asked very very great questions it was it was awesome it got me thinking Mm -hmm. I think it's important for people to know and be aware so thank you thank you we're done okay thank you (laughs) bye (laughs) bye you're welcome have a good day bye bye